Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this outside on an absolutely perfect day in the town of South Pasadena, California, in a park called Garfield Park. My kids have been coming to this park for years, and they're here right now, and I'm letting them play, and they're running around as you, they should be. They're, they're, they're young men, and it's a beautiful day. Be outside, run around, and this is a, a great place to do it. And it's named after uh, Lucretia Garfield. Now, you may not know who she is, but she was the widow of the slain president, and uh, James Arbrum Garfield. James Garfield was the president in 1881 and is a point of fascination for your pal Sully. Not every, believe it or not, not everything I think about is uh, baseball related. Some of it is history related and I have a tremendous you know, love and affection for the history of the United States presidency and I find the story of James A. Garfield to be an intriguing one. Now, the things I find intriguing about him as president are way too long to slip into a baseball podcast. As much as I sometimes squeeze other topics into here, uh, I'll get on a roll here. Well, I'll just say that he was a president whose time in office was extraordinarily short, less than a year. Uh, I think he was finally, you know, seven or eight months was his, his administration. He was shot by a crazed deranged office seeker who wanted to be the minister to Paris and uh, had no diplomatic experience and spoke no French, but felt that he was qualified to be the the president's minister to Paris. And when the president would not give him that post, he realized, I'm friends with the vice president, so if I shoot the president, the vice president will president. And he'll make me the minister to Paris. You can understand why this story is intriguing to me. Well, he was killed and was, in a very short period of time, a really well-respected and loved uh, player. Jesus, president. He also was a big baseball fan. He's from Ohio. And before he was uh, president, he was a congressman and would occasionally sneak out and watch baseball games. And this is like the 1870s. So, you know, around the time Julio Franco was playing. Now, eventually, Garfield's widow moved to this town in South Pasadena and set up a home uh, near where I'm standing. And this park is actually named after her. Now, I was thinking about something. One of the things that I find very intriguing about James Garfield, I'm going to tie this into baseball, don't worry, is that he had the... Well, he had the talent, the ability, and possibly the drive to be a really significant figure in American history. The presidency at his time was really weakened. Post-Civil War and post-Lincoln's assassination, the presidency was in a bit of a state of disarray. And the powerful factions in the Senate seemed to have more power over the day-to-day effects of the American government than the presidency. The presidency was really weakened. And Garfield stood up to some of the corrupt powers there and gained a lot of respect in his short administration. 
He stood up to some of the corruptions. He stood up to some of the absolute power that was being usurped. And a lot of people thought, holy cats. I don't know if they said that at the time. But I don't know if anyone says holy cats but me. But I kind of like the rhythm of it. We may have ourselves a president with a spine and who could restore the strength of the presidency. And then he was shot. And it took a while for a president like that to emerge. And you could argue that the president who eventually emerged and became that strong figure was Teddy Roosevelt 20 some odd years later. By the way, it's very heartening on this beautiful day. I'm seeing a couple of people playing catch with their sons. One of them is wearing a Clayton Kershaw jersey and the other is wearing a Mike Trout jersey. That's a good thing. He would have been a significant figure in our history if he wasn't murdered, if he didn't die. And now he's an obscure figure in our history, beloved at his time, but the promise of his presidential career faded along with his death. And I started thinking about that in terms of baseball. We had a horrible tragedy, as not to be confused with a wonderful tragedy, with the loss of Jose Fernandez. Jose Fernandez, towards the end of the year, of course, I talked about it, died in the, the boat wreck. And we already saw what he was becoming. We already saw that he was a pitcher with both style and substance. We saw that he was a player who had the goods, who was dynamic, who had already gone through his Tommy John surgery, so he probably would have had a long, healthy career, and could get the outs, get the strikeouts, win the games, get log in the innings, and do so with a flair and a sense of fun. He was fun. And whether or not he would eventually win his championship as a member of the Marlins or some other squad, he was going to be a beloved figure. And I was really hoping that he would spend his entire year with the Marlins because to me, he felt like Miami. Not just because of his Cuban ancestry, but Miami is a fun, colorful, flamboyant city. And he's a fun, colorful, flamboyant player. And we were starting to see the effectiveness of this. And eventually, the memory of his playing will fade. He'll be a tragic figure, he'll have his number retired, and people are like, oh, he was great, he was great, but when people start listing the greats of an era, they're not going to list him. Because you list people who play out their full careers. And with that in mind, you look and say, man, what could have been with him? What could have been? Now, of course, we've had famous players die in their career. Ross Youngs, you may not know him, he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, was, uh, died, he was one of the great players of the John McGraw era giants of the 1900s and the 1910s, died of Bright's disease. And I think one of the, the fact that his career was cut short kind of helped his Hall of Fame career in a strange way because they, people added on the what could have been. Obviously Roberto Clemente, who had achieved everything that you could have achieved as a player. His final hit in the majors, a regular season hit, I should say, was his 3,000th hit. He wound up getting a few other hits, including his final career home run in the National League Championship Series that year. The thing about Clemente 
is, you know, he died, and he died in a heroic manner, getting on the plane to make sure that supplies were reaching the victims of an earthquake in Nicaragua. It's not even his native country. And that was the kind of man that he was. And dying in that manner, as opposed to a drug overdose or a drunk driving accident, I mean, the fact that he died helping those in need added to his aura, his mystique, and the fact that he was still a, a wonderful player when he passed away. But the other element of him, I absolutely believe that he was being groomed to become the manager of the Pirates. He was managing in the off-season in the Winter Leagues. He was the face of the Pirates, the most respected player on the Pirates. He was the person that nobody could talk down to. And to have him be the manager of the team, and what that would mean to have a player who was a, a manager who was, had a, a dark-skinned Latino manager, smashing all sorts of stereotypes and having one of the elite teams in baseball under his direction may have added an entirely new facet to his legacy. The same can be said about Thurman Munson, although I think an interesting thing about Thurman Munson, who is, as a Red Sox fan, I understand, he is the one Yankee you do not, you do not mess with. I almost swore, but I know Ray... You and your son are listening, so I'm not going to swear now. But you can make fun of any Yankee, but don't make fun of Thurman Munson. Especially if you're someone who grew up in the 1970s and what Munson meant. Homegrown Yankee, emerging in a dark time of Yankeedom, becoming the class, becoming the, the captain, becoming the tough-as-nails, grinded-out clutch hitter. There were two kinds of Yankee fans. And yes, there was a slight racial element to this. Are you a Munson guy or a Jackson guy? But Munson represented, he's a real Yankee. He's a homegrown Yankee. He was part of the rebuilding from the ground up. And Reggie was this big, flashy, loudmouth who was just brought in at the last minute. Are you a Reggie guy or are you a Thurman guy? And Reggie and Thurman did not get along. But they did win together. They played two full seasons together, 1977 and 1978. And guess what they did? They won the World Series both years. And when Thurman Munson, who died in the plane crash in the middle of the 1979 season, the repercussions, the concentric circles felt after that death had a huge effect on the Yankees. They didn't win a World Series between 1978 and 1996, there are people I know who said they'll never win after Thurman Munson died and what he meant. And the fact that he died in the manner that he did. And that was the first year that I really was watching baseball. That affected me as a young fan, even though I was a Boston Red Sox fan. It affected me because Thurman Munson was a Yankee. And what would have happened if he continued playing? Well, I'll tell you what probably would have happened. He probably would have left the Yankees. One of the reasons why he was taking those flying lessons is he wanted to keep flying back to Ohio where his family was. And it's not out of the realm of possibility. I wrote a whole blog post about this a little while ago. That if his contract ran out and he was continuing to clash with Steinbrenner, as everyone did, that he would have packed up and gone to Cleveland or gone to Cincinnati after Johnny Bench was moved out of the catcher role. 
You know, he is considered to be one of the great classic Yankees, and he died captain of the Yankees when he died. They were the back-to-back -back world champions, restored the Yankees back to their world championship glory. And in both instances of the final moment of the Yankees clinching, featured Munson when Torres caught the final pop-up to end the 77 series. It was Munson who was the first one running in there, and he caught the pop-up to end the 1978 World Series. Well, what would have happened if he had lived? Either he stays the rest of his time as a Yankee and he winds up becoming the manager of the Yankees, or he winds up leaving town. Everyone else did. Everyone else ultimately did, and he wound up leaving town and going to Cleveland where he probably would have gone. But we won't know. There are other names. You know, there's some names that were cut off so early that it's almost impossible to figure out what they would have been. Would Oscar Tavares have been the MVP? I mean, he was being groomed to be the next Cardinal star. And if you saw what he looked like in his cameo with the Cardinals in the 2014 season, including a pinch hit home run in the playoffs against the San Francisco Giants, man, he sure looked like he had a sweet swing. He sure looked like he was going to be able to do it. I mean, who knows what Jordano Ventura, we saw glimpses of it, and what if we kept developing? You know, and you saw players like Nick Adenhart had one start, was brilliant, great prospect, and exactly what that Angels team needed, a good, solid, young pitcher to pluck right into that rotation, he dies. Another angel, Lyman Bostock, an all-star, an elite hitter, leaves Minnesota, goes to California, has a rough first season in California, but it's looking like you know, everyone respects him, good solid man by all accounts, good solid hitter on a California Angels team that was really starting to develop. In fact, they made the playoffs the next year, and he got shot in some weird co confrontation that was not, not even his fault. He was, like, he was like shot in an intersection or something crazy like that. Who knows if Lyman Bostock's on that team in 1979, they've made it to the postseason, they've made it to the league championship series. Who knows if that Angels team that eventually would have the Senseis and Gritch and Don Baylor and Fred Lynn and Rod Carew and eventually Reggie Jackson and Brian Downing and all those all-stars. Who knows if one more really good solid hitter like Lyman Bostock and that Angels team goes on a great run. We won't know. We won't know. You're thinking about some of the players in the past, you know, with Daryl Kyle, who died in midseason, would he have had a nice long career? Jim Umbricht, pitcher for the um, uh, Astros, who had his number retired. Mike Sharperson, who had a, would have had a long career as a um, utility player for years and years. Steve Olin, relief pitcher for the rebuilding Cleveland Indians dies in the boat accident and two years later the Indians are in the World Series. Do they go on, do they win if they have a deeper bullpen? And one of the most intriguing ones, at least for me, um, is, and, and it's, it's Mr. Uh, Kenny Hubbs, who is 22 years old. 
22 years old second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Just as the Cubs were putting together a team in the early, in the mid 60s, and Hubs would have been teammates with Banks, teammates with Fergie Jenkins, teammates with Ron Santo, teammates with Billy Williams, that wonderful Cubs team. And you had Ken Hubs, second baseman, putting in the middle of that team, had all the style, all the flash, all the ability to be a long-term all-star and to be part of that. With a little bit more talent on that team, who knows what one player here, what one player there does for the effect of a team. Ken Hubs died in a plane crash at age 22. And if you're a diehard Cub fan, you know that. If you're a diehard Angel fan, you know about Nick Adenhart. If you're going to grow up a huge St. Louis Cardinal fan, you will know about Oscar Tavares. But do you know what? In three or four years, Oscar Tavares will fade away. His deeds will fade away. Only the diehard Cardinal fans or the people who look at the best prospects will remember it. And then he'll go. He'll become a relatively obscure figure. Only banana heads like me remember what Lyman Bostock meant. And it's sad because they should have had long careers. It's sad because their legacy, their achievements, we don't know what their achievements would have been. And it's sometimes difficult to pinpoint who's going to be the star, who's going to have giant comebacks later in their career, who's going to be that cagey veteran who comes out and suddenly has a great moment in postseason. Yeah, I mean, do you think about some of the years, I mean, think of how someone like Dennis Eckersley revived his career. Think about someone like El Duque Hernandez, who towards, you know, towards the end of his career came out and became and got some huge outs in the postseason for the Chicago White Sox when they went on to win the World Series. Think about some of the veterans who were part of the 2013 Red Sox who put together unlikely years, unlikely comebacks, and helped them win a championship, became beloved figures for all time. And then think about Ken Hubbs. Think about Jim Umbrecht. Think about Jose Fernandez and Oscar Tavares. And you realize that those moments are the things that were denied to us. And we can't even predict what they would have been. We can't even predict how the equation that is a team, that is a game, that is a season would have unfolded with them in it instead of not. Just like it would have been impossible to figure out what American history would have been like if we had a strong president in 1881, willing to stand up to the corrupted forces and having relatively progressive ideas about race and about women's rights, at least for someone from the 1880s. We won't know because he got killed in a really stupid way. Just like we won't know what Thurman Munson's career would have been after he crashed his plane, what Lyman Bostock's legacy would have been in California, or how many Cy Young Awards Jose Fernandez would have won. We won't know. And people will take their place, and there are Teddy Roosevelt's, just like there were 
Bobby Gritches and Doug DeSensei's in the for the Angels for Lyman Bostock. You move on. But sometimes it's important to take a step back and say, man, what really could have been there? And I really, really think that baseball would be a lot better right now if we had Jose Fernandez staring down Oscar Tavares and wondering, who's going to win that battle? We would have. We all would have. So as I'm here in Garfield Park, remembering the legacy of a president who could have been with players that could have been, I'm not going to be a dad who could have been. I'm going to come over and see my guys. And while I'm doing that, I'll tell you to go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Revan, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Enjoying a beautiful day the only way I know how, by recording a podcast. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Hey, guys, what can people call your dad? Sully. What can they call me? Sully. Once more? Sully. Can't hear you. Sully. What? Sully. What? Sully. Okay.